The Guardian. Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Hello and welcome to The Guardian's Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. I'm Sandy War, and today we'll look back on a very exciting first weekend of World Cup action, including a win for Georgia against Tonga and, of course, the mighty Cherry Blossom sensational defeat of the Springboks. Wow. On the panel today, I'm joined by Simon Burton, sports writer at The Guardian, Andy Zaltzman, comedian and broadcaster, and Emma John, also from The Guardian. It was a a sensational weekend and um, Japan's victory over the Springboks was the biggest shock in rugby history bar none really a shock to everyone except the person in Coventry who put 100 quid on Japan to win at 33 to 1 I want him to do my lottery numbers for next week <laughs> uh, so the Cherry Blossoms record let's just get this straight in the World Cup before this was in 24 games won 1 against Namibia drawn 1 and lost 22 South Africa meanwhile had the best win rate in World Cup history winning 86% of their games you Andy were there I was there, yes. Uh, I mean, not a lot of people talk around me saying, oh, we've won 86% of our previous World Cup games in South African accents. There were there were a lot of pretty angry South Africans by the end of the game. Afterwards, there was a kind of great kind of communal atmosphere. I think even the South Africans recognised they'd seen something quite brilliant for the sport. But during the game, they were pretty uncomplimentary to basically every single player on the pitch, the coach, the basic concept of rugby I think um, <laughs> and I, 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 if the South African newspapers were using the same language as the South, South African fans sitting near me in the stand on Saturday they will have uh, had a lot of words kind of starred out well, I, some fruity language I actually on. saw one of the headlines from the South African papers right. and um, just to put it all in perspective the headline said box downed in Pearl Harbour <laughs> So, um, right. they also they also getting things in perspective. Also, not not you know going to stereotypes yes. at all. They then described the the Japanese team as shrewdly coached samurai warriors. <laughs> right. I mean, what um, was impressive about it was the extraordinary bravery, particularly towards the end of the match when they went all out for that win. They could have that, gone that for really the draw. They, they had a, a, a couple of penalties they could have kicked. Uh, from very straightforward positions they could have had the draw they could have pocketed the draw great result fantastic performance come away with a head held high Uh, and I mean really the amazing that was the moment really the the scoring of the try was was the the icing on the cake but it was refusing to take the draw was the really I mean that that, that was when it really hit home that something special was because Eddie Jones reportedly saying he was trying frantically to get a message down to them to to take the kick don't don't go for it and I guess he's quite glad they didn't listen. When the the penalty was awarded, they went into a huddle, clearly discussed it amongst themselves, and decided, you know, let's let's do this. Let's be heroes. Yeah. Well, I guess also it was they were already on a losing bonus point, so a draw was only one more point. So, you know, it was worth the risk, I guess, to get that those three extra points for the. for the Vic, but it was the kind of the perfect aesthetic end, as you say, that that kind of decision that almost no other team would have made, uh, and then the the fact that the try was scored, it was a kind of classic knocking the corner flag out try, and the ref just gave the try. He didn't I think it was the only decision of the weekend that didn't go to the TMO. I mean, there was I think in the England Fiji game at one point the ref just 
said to the TMO, "Can you check that my hair looks right?" Um, and you know, it was it, so it was a, it was a kind of perfect aesthetic ending to a to a and sporting event. I think those guys in their home country, they're just going to become bigger and bigger heroes because there was this sense, uh, certainly from what happened with the papers, it took a little while for the Japanese press and the Japanese media to catch up with what had happened, partly because of timings, because obviously they're on the other side of the world. Um, but uh, I noticed on, on YouTube, there's obviously still a way to go to educate the majority of Japanese in, in rugby and um, Goromaru's uh, the fullback's first kick has been put up on YouTube as a wonder kick you know that, that's that's the headline of it Goromaru wonder kick first of the match obviously it's the one that took them into the league I mean it's straight in front of the post <laughs> <laughs> he was right in front of the post and really not very far out so there's still a little way yes. to go for them to learn exactly how big a deal this is for their own country I think. are we in danger a little of, of, of patronizing what else went on in that match there was some tremendous flair and great discipline as well shown by the japanese wasn't there but really it's a I mean, eddie jones you know he, he doesn't have to go far to in search for compliment at the moment uh, and he'd been so bullish in the warm-up to the match and and the warm-up warm-up to the tournament. Uh, yeah, he he was saying that Japan could shock the world, and uh, I mean that predictions like that when you're coaching Japan they could go one of two ways. And I mean, yeah, I mean the the way they played, uh, it was in, incredibly invigorating from the from first to last. Yeah, and celebrated with apparently a swim in the sea and fish and chips. Well, that's the traditional way of. Celebrating any victory in rugby, isn't it? I guess um, <laughs> I mean, there's probably of other them, ways of doing it, but you know, a couple of them have been spotted having fish and chips the night before the match as well. The, the ITV commentary team referred to that right. a couple of times. So yeah, so fish and chips may be a vital part of <laughs> that. How, how do we feel about their name though? Because uh, I think they need something better than brave, Lo- brave, brave blossoms. blossoms. Well, that, that is just another thing they've overcome. They've overcome they you know, the odds, the, the you know, the the, the the traditions of rugby, the the way that international rugby is skewed towards the existing superpowers, and the fact that they have the worst nickname in world they, sport. They the sound blossoms. like an all male cabaret act. Yes, don't they? They're really brave blossoms are only a tiny bit braver than cowardly blossoms. Yeah, it's I mean, it's hard, hard to express bravery, isn't it? As yeah, a blossom. Just, yeah, absolutely. but uh, you thought something odd was happening when. South Africa were 10-3 up in the first half and they blew a what was basically a four on naught overlap. Uh, it was, in terms of you know an open goal in football, it was basically a foot out from the goal with the goalkeeper having medical treatment on the touchline and spooning it over the bar. And people talk about, oh, you need experience in a World Cup. The man passing it was Ruan Pienaar, 85 caps. He had outside him Victor Matfield... 124 caps, Skalkberger 80 caps, and Bismarck Duplessis 74 caps. That's 300, over 360 caps and over 45 years of test experience. And they utterly blew it to the extent where the referee, when, they, when he went to check whether it had been grounded early in the move, you saw him laughing that they had just. <laughs> they basically, it, it was four on naught. How could you. With one yard out. So you thought, well, maybe South Africa, all is not well in this South African. I guess there's positives they can take away. Well, they got two losing bonus points. If you'd offer them that before the game, they'd have bitten your arm off. Well, I think most South African forwards would bite your arm off anyway. Um, they've not peaked too early. That's a real danger in a World Cup. They've arguably taken that a little bit too far. Um, uh, they're in a different hemisphere to most South African fans, which is probably a good thing at the moment. Um, and they've all, all, also, on the plus side, they've sorted out the low point for the rest of South African rugby history. They never need to worry about it again. So, Can they regroup from this? What, what happens now with South Africa? Yeah, it's not the hardest of the pools. They have a couple of points 
uh, which you know that will come in handy. It's not like they they've left with nothing. It's not not like they're they're marooned on the bottom of their their table. Uh, so, and, and uh, you know, the, the, I think I've read references already to 2007 when England lost their first game and uh, still made it through to the final. You know, this isn't the end. It's why it's right that the focus has been on Japan for the last couple of days. You know, this isn't the end of South Africa's story and that they can write a new chapter from here. And, and can uh, Japan repeat this? I mean, is this, is this the start of something or is this the flash in the pan moment? Well, they've got this four-day turnaround, which is, is a little controversial. Uh, they next play against Scotland. The, I guess that the, the next thing I'm interested to see, they play, they play Scotland at King's Home uh, and... Uh, they pl- they basically wear a Gloucester shirt, and they had a warm up game also there, and they play two of their pool games there. And I just wonder if it, if you know it, it will be really be a corner of Japan. The way Japan played though was uh, it, they played really smart. They were hooking the ball really aggressively at the scrums. It was flying out the back of the scrums, so that kind of neutralised any power advantage South Africa had. They kept changing the point and direction of attack with the scrum half uh, Tanaka was 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 brilliant the whole they, they seemed to as you say Eddie, Eddie Jones as a as a coach when he was Australia coach as an England fan he was probably the most irritating man on the entire planet and you kind of just had this picture of him like climbing up outside referees windows the night before games with little diagrams of what they needed to be doing um, but it was clearly a, a ma- master class of uh, getting a team prepared to play in a, a way that could win and if yeah it's a it now looks, I think, a really fascinating group that you'd think pretty much any team in it will think they could they could win a couple so of games. Do, so does Scotland revisit their strategies for that match or do they just carry on with the path you think they would have been planning already? They certainly revisit their assumptions. You know, that I, I'm sure that South Africa would have been expecting, uh, I mean, not an easy game, but a game that they would win by a margin and that Scotland would probably have been expecting the same as well from their first match. And I mean, now they won't. And, that, and I guess they have the great advantage of having that, that that warning shot that that South Africa didn't. And as you say, this group now potentially um, much more open than we had anticipated. I mean, Samoa beating the USA twenty five sixteen. What do we learn from from that fixture? Well, I was at that game as well. Uh, it was um, uh, not quite as exciting as the game on su- Saturday, but it was a really good match, and both teams. Played with a lot of a uh, lot of ambition, a lot of openness. Um, some really good tries by both teams. Uh, Samoa looked pretty strong, but uh, yeah, not not invincible. America looked like you know with a bit bit more luck, a bit more control, they could they could challenge all the other teams in the group. Um, they had a really good centre called Threaten Palamo. Um, I don't know if I've pronounced his surname right, but I mean it's a terrific name. There's some great names knocking about this World Cup. Um, Alta Gavaya for the Samoans came off the bench. I mean, that's that's a, a glorious collection of syllables. But Threaten Palama was he made his debut in 07 as a 19-year-old and then played uh, college American football for a few years and has come back to rugby. His dad was a Samoan international before moving to the States. And he looked. Uh, he's on Saracens books, I think, playing at London Welsh this season on loan. And he, he looked a, a big, strong, elusive centre. Um so yeah, it was it was a highly entertaining game, and yeah, I mean Samoa would really fancy themselves against South Africa this weekend if they put it all together and play with that kind of traditional Samoan ferocity and the, and the skill and range they've got. What I learned about the USA team is that they look 
American. Even as they play, you can tell they're an American sporting team. There's something about the way when they go down, they sort of pose with their, you know, with one knee on the ground, like they do in, you know, American football, that take a knee stance. Right. It's obviously, it, it obviously works through all their teams. There's something incredibly heroic about them, even when they lose. <laughs> and and those some of them have got sort of those beautiful... Uh, Clean cut um, American college. Yes, uh, AJ McGinty, the fly half, was. I mean, he's yeah, straight out of a 1980s Brat Pack film, basically. Wasn't he? And, and also, really their, well as well. their coach Mike Tolkien looks like Biff from Back to the Future, <laughs> and you can totally <laughs> that see could that could be crucial in the latter stages of this tournament. <laughs> When they when they make the film of it, you can just see that Robert Redford's going to play him. I mean, it's just it's amazing how American. When is this film look. going to be made, Emma? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a bit distracted by the ITV commentator referring to Samoa's Samoa. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I could never get past that. That irritated me for the entire game. That's just a perk of the trade, isn't it? Just make up a pronunciation of someone. Yeah, and as long as you stick to it with enough conviction. Hmm. Hopefully it'll you, spread. You, you'll, yeah. you'll carry it through. It will yeah. prove influential. Uh, so, yes, uh, all in all, generally, we think big thumbs up for Japan and how how have they set this tournament on fire? The stadium announcer and the, the Samoa-USA uh, game in Brighton, just before the game, we were saying... Referring back to yesterday, uh, the Saturday's match of Japan South Africa, saying that that was what the World Rugby World Cup is all about, and that is a hundred percent wrong. That is exactly what the Rugby World Cup has traditionally not been about. It's been about the sort of emphasising the dominance of teams like South Africa. It is the, the yeah the opposite of what we traditionally expect. So it was it was wonderful. That's it for Group B. We'll be back to talk about England and Wales after this. Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com slash rugby. Something we haven't mentioned yet is the opening ceremony at Twickenham before the England-Fiji match. Um, What did you think of that? I really enjoyed it. I thought you um, could see... Obviously, that it was made by the same team that made the London 2012 opening ceremony because there were so many things that we we're actually getting used to this now. When people walked into the stadium and saw that enormous, gigantic rugby ball that appeared to have come from the heavens and shattered the ground, nobody nobody sort of gasped and said, "Oh my goodness, what's going on here?" It was like, "Ah, oh, yes." a pitch broken up and then we almost knew that at some stage people were going to emerge from underneath it in in exciting and unexpected ways and it it was a really I thought I really enjoyed it I thought it got the tone exactly right because it wasn't portentous it wasn't political it didn't try too hard that opening ceremony it just reflected a sort of very jolly approach to sport which I think rugby fans it's it's what we like about our sport I don't think we do tend to take it too seriously and I don't think that ceremony did either do you think after all the build-up after all that showbiz the England Fiji match was always going to be a little bit of a a a tense nervous affair Simon did you think it was that to an extent uh, it was something that England just had to get through uh, but you know and and they weren't overwhelming, but you know they they did get through it. They got you know the the scoreline in the end, perhaps flattered them, but you know points on the board and all that. Yeah, thirty five eleven, and that bonus point for the late fourth try. Eight consecutive wins at Twickenham now. Fortress Twickenham were all mentioned yeah. again. Yeah, th- th- but 
you know, they're, they're, for for Wales as well as for England, you know, this weekend was all about next weekend. You know, certainly throughout the Wales game yesterday, uh, and every time one of their players limped off, uh, it was all about next weekend. You know, they, they had to get through this, they had to get the win, but next Saturday is when the magic, when the, when the real. You know, important actions will happen. Although I think we've got to admit that there are worries about England's scrum. It's something that is supposed to be um, a, a a given uh, in terms of how we how we're going to control matches. Is it looked a bit weak on Friday? It wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I think there's quite a lot of concerns for England. There was not a great deal of cohesion in their their back play. Um, Joseph had a few moments. Mike Mike Brown was. Saved their bacon on a number of occasions in the uh, attacking part of the game. It, yeah, it wasn't uh, clearly wasn't perfect, but yeah, as you say, it was a it was unlikely to be a game where England really hit their straps. And uh, you know, having seen the difficulties other teams have had in the first weekend, I guess you know a bonus point win is not that feeds you a pretty decent team. And in fact, they blew a lot of opportunities that could have really put the pressure on. Uh, I mean, it's possible also that the the opening ceremony distracted England. Uh, that you know there were a number of things missing from it. I'd take issue with your 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 version of it. I think they really needed to have something being referred to the TMO in the opening ceremony. <laughs> uh, I think the uh, the rabble rousing speech by the young Webb Ellis character probably should have been a bit more realistic, encouraging his team to play the ref, uh, work the percentages, <laughs> and saying you know if, if someone shouts out ninety nine, everyone gets stuck in. So uh, you know. And, I just think there wasn't enough of the dark side of rugby in that opening ceremony, the kind of endemic low-level cheating that is all part of the game. Do you think Dylan Hartley should have made a cameo? Perhaps that that's what it needed. <laughs> Everybody yeah. else got a cameo. Yes, that would have been probably a lovely gesture. It would have been. Um, I did read that there had been 10 minutes and 8 seconds of TMO action in that England game, yeah. which is, I mean, that, that's a long time. And, uh, and you know, it extends the game. Uh, I was in the office on Friday and we have to you know send our audition at uh, at 10 o'clock and this game was getting longer and longer uh and you know every time the 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 TMO was was brought into play uh and and that that has been a theme of this opening weekend there were groans around the stadium you know pe- people do not people do not enjoy it although equally it does afford a level of interaction as we're discovering that you can change the course of a match if you spot that there's something going on on the giant tv replay yeah. and somebody hasn't grounded the ball yeah. you can yell your heart out and feel like you're making a little contribution but isn't it a little ridiculous as my understanding is it was effectively the crowd at twickenham that called for this review yeah. of, the, of the try that was then reversed and you can't have the crowd influence. oh no I think you, I think I think this is the future of sport I think it should be <laughs> the same in cricket I don't think review should be up to the you know the, the fielding captain it should be all down to the crowd and they should decide whether it's out or not as well the same in rugby you know if the home crowd thinks it's not a try it shouldn't be a try <laughs> this funny- is the future <laughs> but, but on, on the subject of Matuwalu's try for Fiji that should have been given for artistic impression that deserved that deserved a try. There, there should be a point when the referees think, oh, well, I mean, I know it's technically not a try, but he, it, it was really good. Let's just <laughs> let it stand. There's, they can always, always fake the footage later to make it look like he actually put it down. There's also a, a sense whereby we, it's all happened. There was so much TMO on the weekend and it all started, you know, in the very first match that it's already become 
one of the biggest features of this tournament and the jargon is already um, completely embedded so we all know what they're saying when they say oh we're going to go upstairs now which actually when you think about it it's a really odd phrase to keep using and sounds yes. not a little kinky that yes. the referee keeps wanting to go upstairs yeah well I mean the, the refs use a lot of kind of euphemisms don't they they, they will never say you know I'm going to give a yellow card uh, you know so when they talk to the captain so if that happens again they'll say something like you know what's going to happen or some you know I'm going to be forced to do something about it and, and you, you say we're going to go up yeah going upstairs that's who knows what that could involve <laughs> sinister I mean generally at least the decisions have been right and that I mean that the, the decisions have been right, but there has been disparity over which decisions get sent up. Obviously, the the controversy on Friday was that the ones that are getting sent up are the are the home nation's decisions. <laughs> and is is this going to happen for everybody? I mean, if a home crowd can affect their, uh, you know, the host nation's chances, that definitely introduces an element of doubt, I would say, that's that is not desirable. So lots of work to do for, for England. The substitution seems to make a difference. So we, do we think we'll see a very different starting lineup next time out? Well, Lancaster said, hasn't he, that, that uh, you know, we shouldn't expect to see the same team. But these last late substitutions are a big part of his plan, which I actually think is going to, could make for some very nervy performances. It's, it's great so long as it keeps working that he, he brings on his, they're not even the B team now, are they? They're basically the A team. He, he starts with an A team and he brings on another A team. But uh, if we're going to be relying on this idea that, that, uh, that, that Lan- Lancaster's going to get us out of trouble in the last 20 minutes of, of each match with a, with a new flock of players, then I think that's going to make for some really quite tight finishes. It happens for all teams. I think it's, it's clearly easier to come on as a sub and make an impact. You can sort of see what's been going on in the game when you come on against guys who've been smashing into each other for an hour. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, was, it made a big difference. I think one of England's problems as a rugby nation is we simply have too much depth. So we have a lot of players of a similar standard rather than being able to you know focus on a, a few and you know hone them over years so our selections tend to be less less consistent so maybe that's you know and who is our clearly they haven't found a, a best center partnership barrett was quite unconvincing on on friday but i don't think they're going to change it after one one match clearly if they lose to wales then you know it will be the time to panic. We have a nice foot in mouth moment out of that match. Uh, Nemanja Nadal had scored 16 tries in his last 18 tests for Fiji, and he was very unimpressed with the ITV commentator Nick Mullins during Friday night's match. Mullins said they'll be back in Fiji around one television, hoping the generator doesn't fail them. Uh, to which there was a response: Well, there is more than one TV in Fiji, mate, and power is running just fine. Uh, disappointing. I'm actually quite. I'm quite impressed with ITV's coverage so far. I don't know how other people feel about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying. Uh, especially Craig Doyle, I think, is doing a fantastic job um, hosting, uh, and with his little group of pundits. I'm, I think Brian O'Driscoll was. I mean, it's just always a joy. It's always a delight to have that man talking to you. He's so warm and friendly, and you can see, you feel like I totally understand why people run through brick walls for him. I would too. Mm. That's not what you want in a commentary team, though, is it? You just don't want people running through brick walls. That's, 
sonically troublesome at best. But it's, a, it's another privilege of the commentator, you know, the, the sort of casual, <laughs> casual stereotypes. No, that's been a part of sports commentary as long as humanity has existed. There is the outside chance that someone will now say to him, listen, I'll bring you to Fiji, you can see how we really live there. And that might be that might have been his plan all along. Yeah, yeah. yeah bad mouth these Pacific nations and hope for a holiday. Good technique. Uh, of course, England Wales then next Saturday. Um, Wales warming up with a fifty-four-nine victory over Uruguay. Here's some facts: uh, Wales squad is the tallest at 189 centimetres and the heaviest on average 107 kilograms at the World Cup. Uruguay's is the shortest and the lightest, so um, a mismatch all round, really. Yes, they're the heaviest even before you add in the bandages, the strapping, the, the plaster casts. <laughs> yeah, uh, did, did we learn anything we didn't already know from this one, apart from, as you say, there's a problem with injuries? It was a decent performance. Obviously, they won by a pretty convincing margin. You know, when you get someone scoring three tries and then uh, their tournament's over by, by the end of the game, you just kind of feel that, that things aren't working in your well, favour. You just wonder what Warren Gatland has done, don't you? Like, what I mean, what, did in he, a previous life, or, or what? yeah, or did he bump into three witches before this right. tournament and and really annoy them in somehow? Because they definitely seem cursed. And I, it makes you think of that Oscar Wilde quote. You know, to lose one fullback may be regarded as a misfortune. To lose two is just carelessness. Yes, we see the extent to which teams in modern sports go out of their way to try and achieve underdog status. Um, it. It seems. I mean, English cricket basically the entire nineteen eighties was nineties uh, was devoted to trying to make us underdogs for the rest of cricketing history. Uh, so I think Wales have really, with their injuries, they've they've definitely achieved that, and I I think they're going to be very dangerous on Saturday. Well, I think Gallen must be really pleased that he uh, he rested players before this Uruguay game. <laughs> he must be he must be you know. Just thanking his lucky stars that he he did rest Jamie Roberts and George Norris. Otherwise, who knows what might have happened? I mean, he he. I think he said that he said straight after the match in his traditionally bullish way. Overall, we're in good shape, and and you think what shape is that? <laughs> well, that's enough. Group A chat. We'll be back shortly to talk about Georgia and the goings on in Pool C. This podcast is sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com/rugby. You're listening to the Guardian's Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. I'm Sandy War. Here with me in the studio is Simon Burnton, Emma John and Andy Zaltzman. Let's start our Paul C chat then by looking at Georgia's famous win over Tonga, 17-10. Now this was looking to be the result of the weekend until Japan stole the Georgian thunder. It's actually the first time Georgia have ever beaten anyone above them in the rankings at a World Cup. They scored two tries from Mamulka Gorgodza, who now has 24 tries in 60 two tests and from 18 year old scrum half Vasil Lobzenidza who's the youngest player to appear in a World Cup um, looked like it was a fantastic atmosphere in, in Gloucester for that match yeah, it looked um, incredibly exciting, and I think it was. I think it was really wonderful uh, as a as a second match. You know, we'd had England Fiji, um, as we've discussed, might people might see that as a slightly disappointing game. And really, I felt this was where the tournament kicked off and got started because for most of us, we're watching two teams that we do not regularly see. Uh, certainly Georgia, a team that we don't, uh, we don't know enough about to expect much of, I think. And um, actually, I, I believe if you'd kind of 
gone back and and looked at their um, results, uh, you know, recent results, uh, I actually saw quite a few people on betting websites tipping Georgia and saying, actually, if you're if you're looking for one um, upset in this round, uh, Georgia could be the one. Yes, they haven't uh, won uh, that many World Cup matches before and um, have never beaten better opposition in a World Cup before. But they'd had a really good run. And um, I mean, you've just got to look at them. They're mountains. They are they are the the, the huge. They're powerful. They're, they're frankly scary. They they terrify me. What did Tonga do wrong? I, I don't know. I, I I would have thought that was a fifty-fifty game before. George has, you know, established themselves as the next strongest European team outside the Six Nations. They gave Ireland a big scare. Um, I think in '07, uh, and very very strong pack. And yeah, they play a kind of pleasingly old school, old school game. I think we've seen quite a lot of stylistic variety in this this first weekend, which has been. Uh, because some of us find the you know the, the Premiership and the Six Nations can get a little bit homogenous, but seeing um, you know that was a real contrast in styles. Can Georgia realistically challenge Argentina for second place in that group? Do you Their think, ambition so? is to come third, uh, and uh, in, in a pool including Namibia. I mean, uh, I think, and uh, given they've already beaten Tonga, uh, I think that that is a fair ambition. Argentina looked pretty good yesterday against uh, New Zealand. A lot, lot of positives for them from that match. Obviously, uh, it ran away from them towards the end. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Georgia have a, a fair and achievable ambition. So let's just pick up on that result, the New Zealand match you were mentioning there, um, beating Argentina 26-10 at Wembley. Record crowd at Wembley, which is fantastic. And the All Blacks have never lost a pool match in the World Cup, so it was always going to be a tough task, wasn't it, for the Pumas in that one? Yeah, and uh, New Zealand... You know, everyone was looking for them to show. You know, they have a, a, an aura about them uh, as reigning champions and uh, as you know a, a team with such an incredible record in pool stages of World Cups. Uh, and I guess we got glimpses of it. So I, I mean, encouraging up to a certain point. It was quite good to see uh, Sonny Bill Williams. Obviously, uh, did well, scored a try, and his cousin also scored a try for for Samoa. Uh, and played really well, Nanai yeah. Williams. He looked really sharp. I feel I, I disagree with Simon a little bit in that I I feel their aura. I didn't really see their aura at all. Maybe maybe my spiritual guides were off, but um, I I did not pick up their aura. I I thought they, I thought their handling looked poor. I I thought they just did not look like themselves. Um, there were a lot of spills. There were some terrible throws. Um, there was that uh, mistry uh, from Milner Scudder, um, who was, uh, you know, in, a, in at the corner. It was the easiest catch, I think, from Sonny Bill Williams. Yeah, yeah. And it really made you want to stand up and shout at the TV. There you had one so. job, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was your one job. Catch that ball. Yes. And I guess with Sonny Bill Williams, you just have to expect that he's going to throw some ludicrous, surreal offload. And he looked like he never seen Sonny Bill Williams play before. Mm-hmm. And we had McCall managing to get a yellow card, which is, you know, it was yeah, only two, happened... Yeah, two players sin bins for, yeah, for M- McCall getting a yellow card. I mean, he should have had about 500 in his career, and yeah. yet this was only the third. So he, even, yeah, you talk about aura, that force field he has that in- envelops referees seemed yeah. to temporarily yeah, it disappear. Yeah, it, it was on the glitch, on the spritz. Yes, I mean, it was quite a clear yellow card, but even so. But even then, in the world before the TMO... 
he'd have got away with that. It wasn't yes. immediately picked up, was it? Yeah. I love the way that the uh, the commentators, when, when McCaw does something like that, instead of, uh, as they would with an England player, saying, oh, that's a fra- uh, fl- fragrant, not a fragrant breach, <laughs> a flagrant breach of the rules, they actually always compliment him for knowing exactly where the ref was and <laughs> knowing that he was going to get away with it. I mean, it's extraordinary what S- that man does. Still your tournament favourites, so. though? I think so, but... Um... Yeah, I, I picked South Africa last week, largely because everyone else had picked New Zealand. I felt I had to go for someone different. I'm may, maybe slightly revising that uh, at this stage. Uh, yeah, Argentina were, I thought, would look really good. Um, it was great to see uh, Hernandez playing well. He's had a lot of injuries. He was such a magician in uh, in '07, and he's just a glorious player to watch. Um, but I, yeah, I think yeah, I'd still expect New Zealand. I still think they're favourites, but their forwards look distinctly vulnerable I'm excited about Aaron Smith as well I thought he looked fantastic and that try he scored it was just so cool because it was just so no nonsense it looked like he had taken in everything around him and and nobody nobody else's brain was working on this I think on the same level as his was for for the All Blacks Argentina Georgia coming up we fancy Argentina for that one uh, I think, I mean, there was no reason for them to come out of uh, the New Zealand game, you know, feeling horribly discouraged. You know, they were, they were you know, it should be a really strong game. It should be really competitive, uh, you know, two strong packs. Uh, but uh, Argentina will, will be favourites. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be brutal. And it's all going to be about how Argentina take those tackles from Georgia because they, they, as we saw, they did it very well uh, against the All Blacks, and I I think they've got more vision, they've got they've got more speed in their backs. That that if they can just win the upfront battle, they'll do well. Yeah, I'd expect Argentina to win quite easily. Georgia's played a more expansive game than they probably did uh, eight years ago, but I think yeah, Argentina look to have threats all over the pitch in, in forwards and backs. And how exciting that one of the most exciting games in this round, hopefully, is going to be one that has where the countries have no links to empire whatsoever. <laughs> Still to come, we'll be discussing Ireland, France and Italy in Pool D. I'm John Alomi and you're listening to the Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian. On Saturday in Cardiff, Ireland got their campaign underway with a 57 win over Canada in Pool D. Ireland scored seven tries in a comfortable win. So were we impressed by Ireland? I was impressed with Sexton as ever, you know, uh, but I did think that their game entirely depended upon, revolved around him. And I, I thought there was a lack of imagination. Well, I don't think you can read much into it. Um, I yeah, teams aren't in, in a game that they're winning comfortably. They went sort of forty minutes without scoring a try, but they're not going to show all their cards at this stage. Yes, it seems it seems unfair giving them a hard time for a comfortable win when we've been talking about some of the difficulties uh, other other teams have I had. Think to really. a certain extent, there's a certain amount that you can read into just a, a scoreline. They scored seven tries, and. Uh, and that's job done. I mean, it's very hard to quibble with. Yeah, I know there was some I, some criticism they took their foot off the gas, but you can't blame them for that. No, can you? that's true. Although I I just did think that the tries were easy tries. Canada's can I don't think Canada's defence was um, was there a lot of the time. The other thing I was really disappointed about, maybe this is the real reason I was disappointed, was there'd been so much talk about Jamie Cudmore and Paul O'Connell and the fact that you know there was going to be argy bargy. And I was really looking forward to the first punch up of the uh, of the World Cup. It it did not appear, although although both the protagonists did get simbined, which was right. funny. Yeah, Ireland play Romania next at Wembley on. 
Sunday, that could be a, a different proposition altogether, couldn't it? I'd expect it to be similar, actually. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think... Um, I'm not expecting great things from Romania. Yeah, you know, we've seen... You know, with the Wales game and the Ireland game, that the, what could have been absolute thrashings were not. They were, you know, the teams didn't roll over once they conceded early tries uh, and, you know, the stronger teams didn't run away with it. Um, I'd expect something similar in the Ireland-Romania uh, game. Ireland don't, you know, don't have to have to peak for a couple of weeks. So uh, I think that was fine. Although, don't you think that this weekend might have given heart to other teams like Romania? Because I feel that there was almost a momentum during the weekend. You, you, you can't tell how much these things really affect the players. But I think that from the moment Georgia beat Tonga, there must have been some sort of spirit that caught the other teams. And that rolled through uh, the matches to come. It just gave them a confidence and a belief. Yeah, well, I think particularly Japan, but and that's got to be allied to sort of technical quality. And uh, I guess you know Japan has a a decent league. I think that they're, they're you know probably a step above uh, where Romania are and um, other teams like that. But yeah, I, it would certainly uh, you know teams like you know Samoa will feel that they can beat South Africa, uh, and um, maybe if they felt that anyway. But yeah, it's definitely given the the tournament a lot more interest. And uh, but I I still don't expect Romania to challenge Ireland much. Also in Pool D, France beating Italy thirty-two ten, one of the more familiar fixtures for uh, European rugby fans. Italy have now lost all twelve matches they've played at Twickenham, but they're not going to be there uh, again in uh, the pool matches. Fantastic comeback, um, Freddy Michelac for France from injury, wasn't it? That's amazing to see him back. Oh, I've always loved Michelac. Um, he's you know, he seems like a bit of a throwback. He's small and elusive, and uh, you know, was sort of brilliant in his younger days, but had you know some fairly fairly significant off days. Uh, and yeah, you'd thought he was finished, you know, quite a long time ago as an international uh, international force. So it's great to see him playing again. It wasn't a great match. Um, there were there were what thirty five penalties in the match, and it was like one of those games where rugby just kind of disappears up up itself in a. Sea of fetishistic technicalities, and you kind of, you know, that kind of game. They should reach a point after twenty minutes. And think, let's we'll pick three laws each, we can just ignore for the rest of the match, and just let the game flow a bit. Mm. And uh, but apparently, it was a great atmosphere. I, I was not there, but I, I heard that it was pretty much like a a home game for France at Twickenham, which is well, extraordinary. I mean, that's been one of the, the great things about the opening weekend. I and mean, the two, two games in Brighton were both thirty thousand. Sellouts, you know, Samoa USA selling out thirty thousand in Brighton, and the, the, it was a great atmosphere. To people pick one or other side to support, and it was uh, well, it English was wonderful. People love tickets, yeah. English people will do anything, and I speak as someone who spent a stupid amount of money on tickets to both the Olympics and this Rugby World Cup. There is nothing that that uh, I think British people now will no sporting event they will not attend. You just tell them it's an important event. We will turn up to watch two bits of mud staring at each other. And crash the websites, no doubt. So, um, what are we most looking forward to um, in the week ahead? Andy, let me start with you. Well, uh, England-Wales, it's a titanic match. Um, and uh, uh, I'm lucky enough to have got tickets to that one as well. I'm taking my children to it. Hopefully they won't ask too many questions like, who just kicked that off? Why don't you see which colour shirt he was wearing? And you'd know. Um, the joys of introducing children to rugby. But it's, uh, it's I think, going to be one of the tensest atmospheres in rugby history. There's so much... Riding on it, um, both teams 
have a lot of question marks and you know we've seen how well they can both play in the last year or so but we've also seen their weaknesses and I think it in terms of atmosphere I think it'll be one of the the most intense Twickenham's ever been. Emma? So I think Wednesday's going to be my day. I think um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Australia play because I think that's what we need now. We need to see how they're doing. And I really want Fiji to test them. I mean, doesn't everybody? Uh, but also on that day, um, Scotland against Japan. I mean, we're just... Who is not going to stop work at 2.30 to watch Japan? <laughs> I certainly am. And Simon? Um, Japan, I'd like to see if, it's a th- if, it, if it is a one-off or if it's a thing. And I'd like to see... You know how they are welcomed in what is in Gloucester, which may become like a hometown for them. And I, like, I've read about Gloucester fans being in Brighton at, at the weekend in their Gloucester shirts, but kind of mingling with the uh, with the Japan fans. And uh, I mean, we talk about lazy national stereotypes, but the mind goes back to uh, uh, not that I'm old enough to remember it to the 1966 World Cup and the way that Middlesbrough uh, adopted the North Korean side and. I mean, uh, Japan might might be a thing. It might not yeah. just be a, a, a one afternoon. <laughs> in terms of lazy national stereotypes, outside the ground uh, after the game on Saturday, I did see a load of people just chanting sushi, sushi, sushi. But I think everyone just got carried away with the emotion of the occasion. Well, that's all for this episode of our Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. We'll be back on Monday to discuss the next rounds of pool matches. Thank you very much to our panel, Simon Burnton, sports writer at The Guardian, Andy Zaltzman, comedian and broadcaster, and also from The Guardian, Emma John. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or keep up with us at acast.com slash rugbyworldcup. Make sure you check out all The Guardian's previews and coverage of the tournament at theguardian.com slash sport. I'm Sandy War. Our producer is Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.